From this discussion, you'll get all the elements needed to craft an irresistible offer and a bit more detail about idea viruses and how to find one of your own. This is Digital Bacon FM. ATB let you go. What a great introduction for our marketing guru, man with a brain the size of a planet, Stephen Barnes. Good morning. Good morning. You forgot the guy. Uh, so you forgot the line uh, where you mentioned is the man with the formal education. Can you? Can we just rewind it and you slot that back in for uh, you know for history purposes? Because we are recording it. It's coming up for ten o'clock. This is the weekday brunch. My name's Jason Black. Joined on the line by the man with a formal education, Stephen Barnes. Oh, sorry. Uh, what about the guru? What about the guru <laughs> and the expert piece? You, you're doing, come on, Jason, get me the program. The the the, pro- the problem is, you say it so much about yourself, it just sounds redundant when I say it. Mm. <laughs> right. All joking aside, I have a question for uh, you before you get on. Yeah, to I'm all yours, sir. Right. Yours. Okay. We speak about monopoly, and we try and find the positive sides to the word monopoly, but it does have a negative connotation too, especially when things go wrong. And I've been at uh, the wrong end of suffering uh, with two monopolies here. One is Eskimar Electricity Provider, and the other is Telcom, our telecommunications provider. They both have the monopoly, and they both suffer shit service, and they know we have no choice. How, How do you... Use the word monopoly and yet at the same time overcome people's predisposed ideas that monopolies sometimes are not good. Well, okay. Uh, so your point is well taken. Um, the two examples that you cite are clearly industrial economy, um, infrastructure, long established monopolies where there's no incentive whatsoever to do anything but for the benefit of the monopolistic provider, the consumer is just collateral damage, in, let's face it, in, um, in uh, those uh, businesses that are operated along those kind of monopolistic lines. Yep. What I'm talking about is something very different again. I'm talking about an earned monopoly, not an enforced monopoly. I'm talking about uh, the uh, recognized, acknowledged single go-to place on the internet to get a particular problem addressed or a particular answer question. Hmm. Um, and that that monopoly uh, position is ultimately earned as against the fact that uh, you become the preferred provider for those solutions that you offer, hmm. either on a completely free of charge basis or a, uh, a, um, an outsourced you know, service provision basis. Hmm. So it's an earned monopoly in the in-connection economy rather than um, you know, a, a, an imparted monopoly based on you know, the industrial economy and the uh, and the uh, economic legacy of uh, of how a country or a particular industry has operated, and just actually to sort of you know kind of qualify that as well, um, my definition of monopoly is a fifty percent market share, mm. um, not a total one hundred percent market share like it used to be in Hong Kong with cable and wireless, uh, who in the nineteen uh, eighties were the only provider of tele- telephony services here, and they mm. genuinely had a monopoly just like the one that you've described. Mm. Um, no, we we, uh, we we take 50% market share as being a monopoly mm. um, because that certainly as you transition from the industrial economy to the connection economy, uh, there's really 
a realistic prospect of getting a maximum 50% market share um, with, within, a, you know, a reasonable time frame. And, you know, a reasonable time frame for me is perhaps, you know, the amount of time left that's in my career, where I've probably got about 15 or 20 years under my belt. Um, we might be able to move beyond the 50% market share after 15 or 20 years. But for the purposes of the discussions that I have with everybody else, a monopoly is a 50% market share in the connection economy, not left out in the cold as you've been literally with no electricity and uh, with no ability to reach your uh, listener base because mm. uh, the internet's been down half yeah. the time in the last month or so. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been shocking. And uh, so yeah. Yeah, the, the, the point was really a naming one, um, as, as you said, you've clarified it and, and, and also quantified it um, by using other words like dominating market share, etc., etc., which I think are probably more palatable but only if you 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 don't you don't understand where you're coming from with with the description itself. Um, now, last week when we chatted, we left off, if I remember, um, with a graph that you've done or a chart rather. Where are we going to start with today? Well, okay, so we, we're really talking about chapter one of the monopoly plan material that uh, will be available on the intelligentcontent.marketing website yep. uh, over the course of the next few weeks and months. Um, and chapter one is kind of like the history and logic of how all the constituent parts of a very modern business model encompassing intelligent content marketing, you know, um, uh, fit together. So we covered sort of enabling technology, the high-quality content platform, um, the need for a disruptive service design, which enabled as a result of the fact you've got a, a high-quality content platform, thinking about your uh, proposition, your professional proposition in terms of the value that you're delivering and making sure that you can pack as much value into the professional offering, the paid-for offering as you possibly can, mm. and then um, through you, communication uh, design, uh, finally the web, and, and also the... Um, uh, the molding of your uh, commercial proposition, you essentially put, inject the elements of the science of persuasion into your communication modality, which is, you know, Frank Kern, as we discussed last week, uh, Charlie Mungo to a degree, and also um, the work of uh, Caldini and the, the science of persuasion, the, the, the six secrets to the science of persuasion. So those are sort of the, the elements that we discussed before we, uh, we broke off for the week. Mm. Um, and another element, uh, they're actually... One, two, three, four, there's only five elements to the sort of the total um, business model as designed that uh, we're going to discuss in the next uh, cab off the rank, as it were, is the irresistible offer. Mm. Would, you, would you say that the, um, the connection economy and the way that you have positioned um, your, your own business and, of course, uh, the, the structure that you're giving for developing a monopoly, would you say that it lessens the impact of it being a, transa a transactional relationship? Um, well, everything is transactional, right, if you think mm. about it. I mean, you've, the, the exchange that you might have via, via email uh, or a social media outreach uh, activity, I mean, th they are transactions, the two, two parties mm. com communicating with each other to sort of exchange value at one level or another. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately in the connection economy, because it's about relationships and yeah. the power of the Internet to engender those relationships, everything is transactional. But your point is well taken. It's a case of sort of understanding what those transactions might look like, you mm. know, prior to 
um, coming to terms commercially, or indeed if it's just a question of you know transacting and, uh, and delivering value without the exchange of any cash for services. Sure. Uh, the relationship building exercises is all, all transactional. I think it's a good prism to view um, you know your relationship building uh, activities through. Mm. Uh, because if you look at it in terms of a series of, uh, of exchanges, transactions as such, which ultimately may lead to uh, the exchange of uh, money for service or other uh, or other commercial uh, uh, exchange, uh, it's certainly all transactional for sure. Mm. But less so than the cold old way of you walk in, you buy something, you walk out, or you order something and it's done. There, there's well, certainly it's, a lot more quite- components to it. There's a lot more components to it because, you know, it's a, a different sort of way of transaction through the connection economy, right? It's all mm. about saying, um, you know, I've got this uh, I've, I've got this ability to help you progress your goals. Now, you know what your goals are. So uh, here's the kind of information that you need to understand, A, how you can progress your goals, and B, that's sufficient enough for you to realize that the information I'm giving you is credible and is going to actually help you exchange, uh, sorry, to achieve your goals. Um, and then, uh, and then, sort of, you know, work it out after that. So the um, uh, the internet invariably means there's a, an exchange of information electronically, and you're communicating as though you're perhaps talking face to face in real terms, mm. uh, in terms of how you, um, you know, end up, uh, how you, how you, uh, how your position is bettered as a result of that, uh, those exchanges. And then, and then, if you've thought about it properly and you've configured your proposition in the right way. In a sense, all roads lead to Rome, and uh, and if there's uh, value to be exchanged at the cash level, then that will happen. Mm. All right, irresistible offers. Yes, well, segue perfectly into you know how you can encourage uh, the outcome at the end of that series of transactions to occur. In fact, if the intention is for you to to you know as we do with Hong Kong Immigration, is to sell immigration services and sell you know your wares and offerings. Mm. So an, irres- an irresistible offer is something that you. Um, think about injecting into your commercial proposition that makes it um, essentially a no-brainer for the uh, other party to say yes to transacting with you commercially. Mm. Uh, and there can be lots of different ways to uh, anticipate an irresistible offer. It all depends on what you do and how you do it and who you're doing it with and what the expectations of the marketplace are and all the rest of that good stuff. What we did, as I've said previously on your show, is that you know, we've we understood very well that when a customer comes to us and has got a problem, uh, the reason why they're in our hands is because they have no idea how to solve that problem. Mm. Um, because they have no idea how to solve that problem, and we have every idea how to solve that problem. It means, in terms of the value exchange, the cash exchange, there, there's only one party who can really con- consider the risk. Um, and uh, that's us because, you know, we're the ones that, 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 that know whether we can genuinely help or not. The client doesn't really have the wherewithal to be able to interpret whether we can help them or not. If we say that we can help them, they have to trust us. So given that we position ourselves through our content proposition and our position in the market generally as being experts in this space, you know, we feel it's incumbent upon us to reverse the risk completely. So. A client comes to us and after due consideration, we believe that uh, we can deliver the outcome that they're looking for. Uh, we will then offer to um, take on that work uh, for them and we will give them a double their money back guarantee because mm. we are the ones that can assess the risk. They're not the party that can assess the risk. And after the, the entire series of sort of transactions that have led to the point where they're making the decision that, yes, they want to instruct us, 
we come up with the double your money back guarantee and present it to them. Then it becomes a no risk proposition for them. And, uh, and at that point, the exchange of uh, value at the commercial level just happens seamlessly. Um, so we get uh, we get paid our money. We're able to deliver the service. And if we're unable to uh, deliver the outcome that we've promised, and we will uh, return the fee to the customer plus 100% premium for uh, um, not having uh, got it right when we said that we would be able to get it right. Now you now you would assess the level of that risk only based on the the quality of the information that you were provided. Has there ever been cases, or what would you do in a case where somebody didn't provide you accurate or truthful information, and you then reduced their risk but actually took on more than you were expecting? Well, what that's a great question. What tends to happen during the provision of an immigration service is that um, whilst you've off, you've given the you've given the you've given the W money back guarantee on the basis of what you were told in conference. Mm. Um, if during the workup of the application it all starts to materialise that in actual fact what we were advised at the beginning mm. doesn't uh, exist in fact, or it's a different story, or we've had the wool pulled over our eyes, or um, as as believed or not, many immigration clients do they engage in a lot of wishful thinking, right? They mm. they want they want us to say yes because they want the visa, not because they want to double their money of back. Course. Um, and they're and, and they're interpreting what we're saying through the most positive set of uh, of, of interpretations that they can muster. Uh, and then when it comes down to you know coming up with the goodies for us to be able to do our job on, on the strategy that we've articulated to them that forms the basis of our engagement, if they can't come up with it, then we you know we have an ongoing conversation with them, and we're able to we're able to steer it to where it needs to go, or we're able to bail out before we get too far along the line. Mm. Uh, where it's, it's becoming apparent that uh, it's not going to work. So, mm. you know, we only take on stuff that we genuinely feel that we can get approved. And in, in the seven, eight years now that we've been doing doing the Hong Kong Visa Center and offering a, a double money back guarantee, I've had to return money, I think, five or six times altogether. Uh, and only, in, I think, in two of those instances, there could have been an argument with a client at the end of the exercise where they said, where, where they said they were going to do something and then it didn't materialize. But rather than having a fight with them, I just, you know, just, well, it hasn't worked, unfortunately. Uh, he's, he, I'm going to honor the W money back guarantee anyway because I don't want to have a fight with you about it. Um, I'm good for my word. Our reputation is intact. And, and without, um, without exception, mm. um, it seems that every time we've returned money to people, uh, there's been a referral back in some some stage, you know, uh, after that, that uh, has meant that we've been able to get more uh, more client instructions from people that they've introduced us to. So, in a sense, you know, swings and roundabouts, as long as you don't have to give it too often, it ultimately just boils down to uh, the cost of marketing, I would say. Mm. But an irresistible offer has, has proven to be, um, well, I think, I think it went on to save my ass, to be honest, Jason, because um, when I was... Um, when I was trying to build this practice from nothing, uh, keeping the Australian tax man away from uh, the door and uh, you know, scrambling back from the edge of bankruptcy, it became absolutely imperative for me to be able to close as much business as I possibly could, you know, put my hands on whatever revenue was coming my way. So, sure, I was taking on um, a significant risk by um, introducing a W money back guarantee. But when my business partner and I, you know, discussed uh, the risk exposure that was associated with it. We believed it was you know, certainly uh, something that uh, you know, we should uh, stand by 
and at the same time achieve our commercial objectives by being able to get revenues through the door quickly and, and survive and go on and prosper. So, uh, yeah, an irresistible offer for me has proven to be uh, uh, absolute clinical to a uh, part not clinical, but but uh, uh, crucial to to the success that uh, we've been able to attain. Now, if, if we stick with the with the irresist- irresistible offer for a second, you you've looked at it from the perspective of the business owner having that offer. What percentage do you think it accounts for the decision making process for a client? And I know I was a client, and the double your money back guarantee really didn't make any difference to my decision. Perhaps it de-risked it subconsciously, I don't know. But more important to me was the mint on the pillow. We can almost guarantee we'll get you a visa approach. And maybe that was just uh, sort of a subtext to the content that I'd read online. Um, maybe the W money back, as I said, was a subtle uh, reinforcement of that. Um, but do you think people come to you and say, hey, you know, maybe I can get my d- double the money back, but really we want the visa no 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 people uh people don't go on fishing expeditions to try to you know pick my pocket for uh getting double their money back guarantee out Mm. of me by me not being able to deliver um when people have immigration problems it's a life matter it's a serious life matter Mm. it goes beyond mere cash right um and what i've discovered is that 50 percent of people that come in to see us they're genuinely not avail, not aware of the uh, of the W money back guarantee, and it only ever raises itself as a surprise, if you will, for in half of the cases, um, when when we uh, we offer our service quote and then we tell them they have W money back guarantee. Okay, they've come to see us in the hope and expectation that uh, you know we can help them solve their problem. Very often, they're not quite sure what it's going to cost them because they may not have done that level of research through our website, even though it's all fully, fully disclosed uh, right. for everyone to see. Um, but, uh, you know, at the point of, uh, of saying, yes, we understand the situation. Yes, we can get the visa. This is what it's going to cost you. And by the way, we get a, you get a W money back guarantee. Then that just seals the deal for them, right? If, in a sense, they just want me to say yes to the visa application. Then they just deal with the, the issue of the cost in their own mind at that point. Mm. And when I mentioned that it's basically going to come with a W money back guarantee, it's, it, it's game over. That's it. Sold. Yeah, we're done. So, so in terms of um, what you've got so far, it's enabling technology, high quality content, uh, disruptive service design, value-laden pricing, the science of persuasion, and an irresistible offer. Which of those are the most important to start with? Oh gosh! Um, well, they're all part and parcel of the of the of the, the pie that you're baking, right? Mm. So, in terms of the the hard exchange of cash, I would say the irresistible offer as a component to an intelligent content marketing strategy is probably the most important. Um, In terms of um, developing a proposition that's going to appeal to um, the people that you want to have relationships with via your web presence, then I think the science of persuasion, um, value-laden pricing and disruptive service design comes into play. Um, and then your high-quality content platform and enabling technology, well, that just you know gets you in the game, gets you noticed, and most importantly, creates the foundation for Google to be able to recognize you as being the preeminent provider of the information on this particular niche that you're good at. Uh, and that then you know allows you to go on to dominate search over time, and uh, and will then just drive traffic you know into your arms. So, so there's there's no individual 
component to an intelligent content marketing strategy that say definitive, they all inter- interlock and they all interplay uh, mm. with each other. But there are certain certain parts, like I say, irresistible offer that is just slam dunk that will it will, will immediately uh, mean that the customer is ready to pay mm. um, the price that you're asking because they know it's uh, it's it's risk free for them if. As we've done, you give a W money back guarantee. But you can do other things that, that represent an irresistible offer too. It doesn't have to be a W money back guarantee. Hmm. You just have to know your customer and what their concerns are at the point of transacting and then come up with something that uh, appeals to them in such a way that it goes, wow, that's irresistible. I'm going to go for that. Hmm. The 99 cents doesn't make it irresistible anymore, does it? No, no, <laughs> no, no. It's got to be something more than that. Sure. Yeah. So where does one move on from uh, the history and logic of how it all fits together? Well, okay. So just to sort of you know tidy that up, I alluded to you know dominating search and mapping the knowledge graph. That's a function of you continuously publishing, answering questions, and and positioning material that will solve problems for people that are searching for those solutions via the web, um, and they find yourself on the content platform that achieves that end. A couple of other things that result from that, therefore, is obviously the tribe that emerges through mm. all the new relationships that you create via your proposition. Um, and we've you know we've discussed that before. And then uh, Seth Godin's um, idea virus, which fits into the mix, um, which allows uh, people that are using your websites to be able to understand what you're all about without needing to remember the company name or the name of the party that they've been talking to specifically. I'm talking in the future, right? Um, someone has a problem with Hong Kong immigration, they go to the web, find themselves on, find their way onto our websites, find themselves onto the Hong Kong Visa Giza uh, website. They're able to uh, get what they need from that. And they may think to themselves, well, that was useful. This is interesting, quite remarkable. Who's this guy, the Hong Kong Visa Giza? Okay, so they clock Hong Kong Visa Giza, which is my idea virus. Um, and that's what they will parlay. Uh, offline uh, to their friends or or otherwise when um, they're ever asked again in the future if they know someone who can assist with an immigration problem that uh, that they might be facing. So, an idea virus is uh, is an integral part of um, an intelligent content marketing strategy and uh, and and fits into uh, you know the whole uh, the whole puzzle as it were. Mm. So, okay, and uh, give us a little bit of direction on creating an idea virus. I know you've got Visa Giza what? tapping into perhaps a little well, bit the of yours. Yeah, the answer the answer to that question is very simple for your listeners. Type idea virus Seth Godin into Google, mm. and you will immediately be able to get a copy of his book via PDF for free. Okay, the power of free once again rears its head. Exactly, exactly. So once again, Seth Godin eating his own dog food. Um, he he nominated no he 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 couched the phrase an idea virus and he's used idea virus type techniques to actually get that to catch fire and one of them was obviously to give the book away for free in PDF format so so my 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 strong answer to that question is Google Seth Golding idea virus read his book and then you're on your way now a lot of what you do is based on your four intellectual heroes forming the pillars of 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 how you've structured your business do you go out there and have a look at how other people are doing their businesses and take note do you look and say bloody hell that's a good idea virus and wow i really enjoy the way they are putting their content out etc 
Um, I t- yeah, well, I don't, I don't, don't go deliberately looking for it because it's very difficult to sort of, you know, try and uh, search for something that really doesn't exist, if you will. I mean, I, I couch the phrase intelligent content marketing. That's in fact an idea virus in of itself. Um, and you know, if you type intelligent content marketing into Google, you're not going to get much at the moment, and that's primarily because the concept of intelligent content marketing didn't exist until I couched the phrase. Okay. Um, and secondly, the amount of material that we've published um, on intelligent content marketing as such is still quite modest, and it will take, you know, it take three or four years for us to begin to dominate that term in Google completely. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is that we're, we're, we're somewhat competing against another idea that's similar to intelligent content marketing from, say, you know, a use of words perspective, but it's very different in fact. So the Content Marketing Institute, mm. which is the, you know, the, 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 the preeminent uh, brand that uh, peddles information on uh, content marketing, so to speak, um, they also have a side business called Intelligent Content. And they, they've couched intelligent content as being any kind of, quote, content that, that you would develop for a particular reason and then be able to use technology to slice and dice that content in such a way so that it automatically gets parlayed into different forms. So it's easy to reuse the same material but in different formats. So, you know, you might, you might do a... Um, like good good case in point, you might do a radio interview like this. So you do a radio interview, and as a result of the radio interview, you've got a podcast or the part of the podcast. Um, and then, in addition to having a podcast, you could then get the uh, uh, the interview transcribed, uh, and then you could convert the transcription into a blog post. Um, you could mm. then conceptually decide that you wanted to slice and dice. Uh, that 30-minute um, interview into uh, a selection, a, a collection of different podcasts, so that they speak to, you know, particular topics that were uh, were raised during the uh, the 30-minute interview. So then you'd have a number of mini podcasts that yeah. you get out of that. The sound bites, yeah, exactly. Um, and then you might decide that you want to take some of that material and then just uh, sit in front of a video camera and talk to camera and explain some of it or you might want to do a whiteboard animation out of it or you know there's a gazillion sort of different ways you can skin the cat as it were uh, when it comes to the material that you produce to parlay your proposition Um, and the guys at the Content Marketing Institute have uh, defined the technical ability to slice and dice and reuse that material in a, uh, in a, in a different, uh, in many different ways, as intelligent content, and so they're developing a discipline around, you know, the the, 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 the technological management of that material so that it can be reused in many different ways, very very easily and ideally programmatically as well. That's what they're sort of aiming to. So back to the idea of virus of intelligent content marketing. When we when you search for that in Google, we, we come up against a lot of material in the intelligent content space, which is naturally they expect to find that. So it's going to take a while for us it, it to big, be able to, uh, to overcome that. Yeah. It begs the question, and then why didn't you create a different idea virus? Well, um, because we've latched on to this idea that content marketing per se is actually bullshit. Um, and we can have another conversation about 
why I've uh, couched in total content marketing as being kind of bullshit, all mm. things considered. Well, I think um, you gave it away when you said the word they pedal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I decided that I was going to go uh, after the, I wanted to, I wanted to latch on to the general idea of content marketing because that phrase is out there in the ether now and there's, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people that will immediately, you know, uh, the light bulb will go on when you say, when you use the phrase content marketing. They, they, they may not actually understand what they're talking about or believe that they, they know what they're talking about when they hear the phrase content marketing. So that's another conversation. But certainly content marketing is out there. So I wanted to ride on the back of that and hitchhike, so to speak by mm. using intelligent content marketing and then sure. being able to own the domain intelligent content market, intelligent content dot marketing. Mm. So there was, there was a good strategic reason why I chose intelligent content marketing. And also the reality is that the proposition intelligent content and the proposition content marketing are completely different from intelligent content marketing. And, uh, and, and building up the story of intelligent content marketing naturally uh, entails explaining you know, what intelligent content is all about as defined and what so-called content marketing is all about, mm. so defined. And I'm sort of bringing the phrase together in a, in a way that uh, is proven live on the web. So you look at the Hong Kong Visa Center websites, there you see intelligent content marketing live in action and uh, uh, augmented by the intelligent content marketing proposition that we've got, the videos and this kind of stuff that uh, I do with you, uh, becomes uh, easy for people to understand the difference between those two other types of uh, intelligent content and content marketing versus what we're all about because it's all observed in an applied sense. Stephen, thank you very much. You have an absolutely awesome weekend and we will catch up soon. Digital Bacon FM. So now I hope you have a better understanding of just how important is an offer designed to be irresistible when it comes to the decision making of a client. Stay tuned for the next episode which is all about how to become a connection economy entrepreneur. Mm-hmm.